Welcome back. Done. Perfect intro, right? Give me that. Yeah, yeah. Perfect <laughs> intro. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's all you need. It's just welcome back. Why not? Why make it complicated? It doesn't need to be complicated. This is episode five, and that's all they need to know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They don't need a synopsis of what we're going to talk about. That's boring. They can read the description, right? Yeah. Kids these days, they expect everything to be read to them. Learn to read. I know, right? They ask for all kinds of stuff now. Like iPhones. They all ask for iPhones when they're like five, four, all these kids. They're so weak too. They'll see what happens when tuition for them is going to be like 50000 for a public college. <laughs> for real, but yeah, it's either going to go, we're either at least going to get to, you know, cheaper college or at least finally going to get there where it's almost free or yeah, it's going to be like 50 grand. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no in between. And there is no in between. <laughs> no in between. That'll be rough for you kids. But well, anyways, well, since, what are you going to talk about? Since I feel bad. For y'all, what we will, I'll tell you what we're going to talk about. We're first going to talk about Monte Carlo. Later, we'll talk about the rest of the tennis season, the clay court season. We've got Madrid, we've got Rome, we got the French. This is really when the rubber hits the road for the clay court season. Monte Carlo seems to be like the tune up, um, little wrinkle for the men. It's not even the mandatory masters that all the top guys have to play. So, in, in many ways, it's treated almost like a tune up. Madrid, Rome, and then the French, but, uh, and that normally is in the span of four weeks, but uh, this time it's going to be within five weeks because the French Open has been delayed by one week. And it will now start May 30th instead of May 23rd. They're hoping to have more fans at that point. But first, we're going to talk about Monte Carlo, the, the first Masters 1000 event on clay that is finished. Stefano Sissi pass beat Andre Rublev 6-3, 6-3. You had many other interesting stories. Rublev beat Nadal in the quarterfinals. Dan Evans beat Novak Djokovic in the third round and also made the doubles final. A lot of interesting stories here. We're going to start with Rublev. He has continued to be very dominant and get deep into tournaments. But from time to time, he cannot finish the job. This time, he had a great win over Rafael Nadal, the obvious king of clay, the 11-time champion of Monte Carlo, 13-time French Open champion, all the all the records you could want for Clay. He's he's got them all. Uh, but we know Nadal maybe some issues with the back. But I mean, hey, it seems like he kept fighting. Rublev was just really too much and played defense for the first time in a while, which is something we don't always see. And then he beat Casper in the semis. Did pretty good. And then Sitsipas, it wasn't so easy. Sitsipas really just took it to him. I watched it. Rublev didn't do anything the first three games. And he got back into it, but it just wasn't really enough. Pretty much the beginning and the end of the match were just bad from Rublev, and the middle was all right, but that was the difference. So, Sean, what do you think about Andre Rublev's chances to do well, and what do you think he needs to do better to, I guess, I guess, badly worded question, to do better for the rest of the clay court season and really just in general this year and in his career. Well, Rublev is a grip it and rip it kind of dude. You know, he just, he lets it, he lets the ball fly. He doesn't hold back. And with that comes a bit of inconsistency and 
For clay, you kind of need to be consistent to win points. It's not like grass where you have these short points, try to finish at the net. You have to have long thought out points on clay to win matches. We've seen Djokovic and Nadal play enough to realize that. And it requires defense, which you said Rublev played a little defense against Nadal, which was good. But he needs to expand more on that because his game needs to be more versatile to win on clay. Or else he'll just turn into Ostapenko and fizzle out once he starts playing worse. No, we, we really have to lay off Ostapenko. We, <laughs> we do. <laughs> that, that's just, I make fun of her, but I think it's funny. We really have to lay off because, <laughs> but at the same time, he won't be that level. I will right. say that, but I get what and you're trying to he say. He has a more consistent level than she does. That's very true. He's been played with, plagued with injuries over the years, so it's not as though his game just goes on and off at times. The past year and a half has been where he's been the most healthy and been able to really show what his game is like. Oh, for sure. And you have to realize he's uh, he's 23 years old. Um, but yeah, as you said, he's a rip it and grip, grip it and rip it kind of guy. You know, uh, second set, I saw it. Um, he was up game point, really tried to rip a forehand, didn't quite work out, got broken in that set. And that was pretty much what Sitsipas needed, although Rublev did give him another break at the end and stuff like that. And the first three games when Rublev's shots weren't working, it was just over. If the match had continued like that, it would have been 0-0. Rublev got his mind back into it. And what I will say that's positive for Rublev is even in that match, he did kind of get back into it, but not enough. In the quarterfinals against Rafa, he got back into it. He was up 6-2, 4-2. In the first set, he rolled over Rafa completely. And the second set was really tight. He was up a break, but it was tight. All Service games were consistently five, six minutes long, multiple deuces. Nadal broke back. Nadal won the set. And then first game of the third set, Rublev breaks. But then Nadal breaks back. You would think, well, Rublev could be out of it. Rublev, sometimes emotional as he is, you would think he'd just check out. Rublev broke back. Now, you're talking three breaks in a row. Rublev goes up 2-1, wins the third set 6-2, just the, the same type of dominance he had in the first set. So I think that's a positive for Rublev is he's shown that when his mind is right, he actually can recover and he's not just going to fizzle out mentally. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big deal. But as you said, physically... He still needs to figure out how to play defense, how to maybe end points at the net because he has such big shots. He could come in behind those, finish points at the net, finish them a lot quicker instead of letting people get back into it. He he has missing parts to his game that can be fixed. But hey, when you say that about a guy that's number seven in the world and that's 23 years old. It's a bit scary. That's a big deal. That That's good for him. Yeah, it is because that means he has potential to improve his game, which not a whole lot of players have. Some players peak and they can't really make improvements. They're already improved as much as they can. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and you know, we were talking about he's still on clay, needs to get better. At least he's not Medvedev who can defend, but can't, <laughs> I guess can't put spin on his shots and lose his first round every clay court tournament. I, I don't, un- um, I guess I haven't watched enough of his clay matches, but I don't get why he cannot win on clay. He made the semis of Monte Carlo two years ago, and I didn't see it. But, I mean, that was he did good there and then lost first round Madrid, Rome, and the French. He did the same thing in 2020. There was only Rome and the French because of COVID. 
And of course, it was all in September, which was also weird. But he lost first round there, first round at the French. And I watched that French Open first rounder. And it just seemed like the shots he was hitting didn't penetrate at all. And it didn't, I couldn't tell if it was confidence, but it kind of seemed like his shots just didn't, they were too flat. They didn't do anything. And I forgot who he played, but it just, the other guy didn't, I mean, could do anything he wanted. He looked like the number two guy in the world more than Medvedev did. Medvedev looked outmatched. That, well, that's what's weird. Yeah. About his game. And sadly, we didn't even get to see him debut his clay court season. That's true. Medvedev, a positive COVID test, actually lives in Monte Carlo, uh, tested positive for COVID. So he stayed home during the tournament. He was going to play. Hopefully, we, hopefully he recovers okay, which is not always a given, and then gets to play in Madrid and, Ro- and or Rome and then the French Open. And hopefully he at least wins one match. <laughs> at least one, hopefully. At least one. It was a blessing, though, because he did practice with Rafa and... That could have been unfortunate for Rafa. Rafa was very fortunate uh, because, and and they got, I think, somewhat close to each other too. So it, it, they definitely could have called it a close contact and pulled Rafa, but they decided not to. No one else has tested positive, so I think everyone's okay, and that's good. Rublev wouldn't have gotten to beat Nadal. You know, that, that would have been yeah, sad. That would have been sad. Nadal is playing in Barcelona this week. Rublev, here's my here's a funny story though. Maybe Rublev needs more confidence, although I can't blame him. He said that he took a wild card into Barcelona too this week, which he's doing right after he played Monte Carlo. Rublev said he they took the wild card into Barcelona because it was right before the Nadal match. And he was like, Oh, I'll be in Barcelona by then. It's okay. <laughs> so apparently he didn't have a lot of confidence he was gonna win and 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 back to what we were talking about with that match, man, did he did he perform? But uh Pass will be there too. Nadal will be there. It's gonna be about as good as Monte Carlo. Except it won't have Jokovic, but obviously that doesn't matter. Right. It will have Dan Evans, who beat Novak Jokovic. But we'll get to Dan Evans and maybe even Jokovic in a little bit. We know what Rublev is, and we've been saying kind of the same things. He'll figure it out, or he won't. We don't know. Pass, first Masters 1000 title. It was his third final. He made two previous finals. Really, one of his big breakthrough tournaments was 2018 in, in Canada, where he made the final. He was unseated. One, I was looking at that draw, and it was interesting, because Zavera was like ranked number three in the world at the time. But Medvedev was a qualifier, and um, FAA was a wild card, and yeah, all, all these guys that we know now are, are kind of low-ranked. Um, but Sissipas unseated beat, beat some good guys to make it to the final, and that was his big deal. He kind of got crushed by Nadal, but that was, I think, his big breakthrough. And then the Aussie Open semis the next year where he actually, he still lost to Nadal, but got to that Aussie Open semis. And, he's, and it seemed like he took a dip after that, but... Lately, especially 2020, he started to come back. Now he's coming back. Made the semis of the Aussie again. Winnie Monte Carlo. He seems to be trending up. How good do you think he can do in this clay court season? Because you got to think about the the top two. They will always be the favorites. Nadal and Djokovic in that order. Team will always probably be the third guy. Just because of what he can do on the clay, do you think Sitsipas can really break into that? 
for the French Open. I I definitely think he can. He's one of the he's one of the younger players that I think plays his best tennis on clay. He's pretty good on uh, hard court, obviously, but he just seems very confident on clay, and his game seems to translate well. I mean, looking at twenty, looking at the twenty nineteen French Open, he had that beautiful match against Stan Wawrinka. Do you remember that one? I do remember. Yeah, yeah. The, the fourth round, I believe. Oh, it's fourth round. You're right. So technically he went out in the fourth round, but it was against Stan Wawrinka, who, you know, someone who can beat anyone on any given day, especially when he's younger. And basically the basically the fifth best guy of the 2010s by default, you know, just kind of the... Right. So then in 2020 at the French Open, he lost to Djokovic in the semifinals in a five-set match where he lost the first two sets and then came back and then fizzled out in the last set. So I expect good things from Sitsipas at the French Open and the clay court season in general. Yeah, I think so. And um, right before that fourth round exit at the French, but it was really better than than it seemed. Yeah, you had Madrid in 2019 that he made the final. And, and I agree, he does seem comfortable on the clay. His shots seem big enough. But he's not like Rublev the rip it and grip it, but Sitsipas does hit the big shots, know how to knows how to build the points and the spin seems to be there too. He knows, just really seems very comfortable, as you said. I, I do like what Sissipas can do, and I think he's got to be probably one of the, maybe the number four guy in line to win the French. I would say so. I would think so. I mean, Djokovic, or Nadal won, Djokovic two. I still say team number three. We didn't get to see him in Monte Carlo, and he really hasn't been as good, but I would figure team comes back, he'd be in there beginning. Yeah, Sitsipas is number four. And and congrats to him for winning his first Masters. Let's go to Dan Evans. This is an interesting story. <laughs> Dan the man. This is, for one thing, Evans on the double side. This is actually his second straight Masters 1000 final with Neil Skupski. He made the Miami doubles final that I didn't realize. And then he made the one here in Monte Carlo Lost both of these to Nikola Mektik and Mate Pavich, a really uh, pretty solid doubles team, lost both of these. But the the bigger story was what he did on the single side. He beat Novak Djokovic in the third round and got all the way to the semis. Now, granted, Djokovic hit about 45 on four stairs, so, you know, there is that. And then once he got to the semis, Evans did get beat 2-1 and one by Tsitsipas. But, I mean, hey, it's a good story. It has to end somewhere, right? So... Dan Evans, you know, it feels like he hasn't been on the tour that long, but he's actually 30 years old already. And I swore he was about 26 because I swear he's been like... He did get suspended hmm. for cocaine. Well, that is true. Um, he's He seemed to have issues for a long time. I didn't realize that he had actually gotten withdrawn from the Wimbledon Junior Tournament by the Lawn Tennis Association in 06 for, in his own words, being stupid on the court. 2008, he played in the boys' tournament, was suspended until November of 08 by the LTA, the Lawn Tennis Association, after he was photographed with this guy at a nightclub in the early hours of the morning. He lost his funding. He was denied wild cards, practice centers, coaching staff, all of it. So he had to train somewhere else. <laughs> so he's just been kind of grinding for a while. And he, Got to where he was like the number two British guy, you know, behind the the obvious one, Andy Murray. 
but he just never he just never seemed to break through. And then of course we know 2017, once he finally did get into the top 50, he tested positive for cocaine in April 2017. Came back in 2018 and he's finally built himself up career high. Actually got here a couple months ago, but got back to it after making the semis number 26 in the world. All I got to say, what a story for Dan Evans. What a guy. <laughs> the little 5'9 guy. He's really not that big, 5'9, but seemed to have a lot of potential and kind of fizzled out. But his comeback, guys don't do that. that, no. that that's difficult for some guys to come back from. Uh, you, you know, it can get in their head. And all I got to say is kudos to him for, for, for not giving up because, you know, I didn't know this about it too. You know, normally when you're out for like a year, you get a protected ranking that you can use to enter tournaments. That way you get direct entry. You don't have to start at like the futures tournaments at the bottom, right? When you get suspended, you don't get that. So you have to, you pretty much have to keep qualifying. His own country, Great Britain, of course, they didn't give him a wild card in 2018 at Wimbledon. He had to, he had to get wild card entry into the main qualifying event after winning two pre-qualifying matches. They they didn't really give him a whole lot to work with when he came back. He had to he had to grind. He had to put in the work himself. And I don't know the backstory of his cocaine use, so I'm not going to really comment on it. I don't know if it was an addiction or recreational use for him, but regardless, he had to grind back from that suspension. No, for sure. And and he doesn't seem like a guy that always had to grind for it, but once he did, he finally stepped up to the plate. So good for you, Dan Evans. Way to beat, way to beat Djokovic. Just want to highlight that. And I mean, hey, guys, number twenty six in the world will probably get seated at the French. Yeah. Um. That that's obviously what a lot of players really aim to do. Then to get, you know, that's a big step. Right. Get in those Grand Slams. Get in actually be able to make a deep run instead of having to play some clown some dude in the first round that you're going to get clapped by. You know, that's, it's always a big deal. You don't want to avoid that. So good for Evans, but let's talk about Novak Djokovic. Yeah. <laughs> Who he beat. And Djokovic seems to have had a lot of issues and, you know, he and uh, Vasek Pospisil even, he was part of the newly formed Professional Tennis Players Association. The Professional Tennis Players Association, it represents singles players in the top 500, top 200 doubles players. They are pretty much trying to trying to really say that, especially after COVID, with the whole COVID crisis, Milos Raonic stated his intention and he said, quote, players have had plenty of time to think and reflect and take a look at certain parts which they may not be happy with and discuss. Went on to say a lot of us were kept in the dark by our leadership for six months. He voiced his opinion. He said he voiced his opinion on many things like, quote, executives in other sports taking pay cuts to support us. That didn't happen. Lower guys weren't making a dime. They really were trying to push for that. They seem to be talking about guys really getting more, more prize money, more money, more of a share of the tournaments. That That's something you guys can look into. But the, the bigger point is, I don't know if his emotions are straight. I think, I think that's the bigger thing here. Is is he? Ha- what is he having to fight? We already saw Vasek Pospisil in Miami have to fight that, right? He just totally went off on the umpire uh, during a match uh, after after the umpire said something. Pospisil went off. 
The is a stress. I worry that the stress may get to Djokovic, but I could be overreacting to one match. Djokovic, that's the only match he's lost. Do, do you think that could be the difference? So for Djokovic's the rest of the year, do you think he'll be able to compartmentalize it? Short answer: I think he'll be okay. I think he'll come back strong in Rome or Madrid, and he'll be ready for the French Open. I only think that because of his performance in 2018, because different stress, but he has that stress of injury. Will he ever play the same? He doesn't exactly, he didn't exactly have confidence in himself. And then he comes back and then just shows up at Wimbledon and carries that momentum through the U S open. He won the Australian 2019, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. And obliterated it all in the final. Had some tough matches before that, but so when he yeah, won, really, really finished that strong. He won three straight majors. Yes, and that that was a huge turnaround. I want to leave a side note: Djokovic. There were really a few matches that were interesting, and he actually did pretty well. Really, that whole tournament it wasn't even tested that much until Nadal, and they had to play over two days, ten eight in the fifth, before he. That's right. Clapped Kevin Anderson in the final, but the the ten eight fifth set against Nadal, maybe that was a turning point because Nadal was playing just as, as about as good as he could have too, and Djokovic said, "No, I'm back." And then yeah, he won the U.S. Open, and then he won the Aussie, and he really just seems to have had it back. But I, I want to go to that mental lapse thing. That lapse was not just injuries; it started after 2016, right? When in 16. He had won four majors in a row, which had not been done since Rod Laver in 1969, uh, at least in men's singles. So you're talking something that's historic. Djokovic is on the track really to being one of the greatest to ever play, if not the greatest. He just keeps winning majors. He would be the greatest at that point in my mind. Yeah. Whether we like it or not. But And then he just he nosedived after that. He would make finals, and granted, his nosedive was pretty good for some players, but you know, when you're losing to Sam Querrey at Wimbledon, when you do get to the final of the U.S. Open, but you look flat against Wawrinka, people start asking questions. When you do still get to the final of the ATP finals, but there is no Nadal, there's no Fed, there's just Murray who shows up and beats you, and you joke because you don't look good. And even though you actually dominated the first half, you still lose the year in number one ranking at the end. A lot of questions get asked, and then the injuries pile on top of that, and you wonder. So he's definitely had these mental lapses before. We also got to remember before 2011, he seemed like an emotional train wreck. Uh, physically, he double fault all the time. He never could handle the heat. He still really can't handle the heat fully, but he never could handle the heat. Double faulted all the time. You remember that? It was mm-hmm. like, okay, let's see how many double faults he can hit, kind of like Sharapova. But we don't know why Djokovic was this bad, right? I mean, that's the Djokovic that I started to know. And then I really got in as he became, you know, one of the maybe three greatest men's tennis players of all time. But yeah, you wonder, is this, is this just going to be a lapse? Was it really just one match? Or is he going to figure it out as he maybe always has? I think he's going to figure it out. If there's one thing he is the greatest at, it is mental fortitude and proving his doubters wrong. And he has a lot of doubters. 
and a lot of people that maybe don't even doubt him, but just don't, don't want like him. him to do well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you're, when you're touching two people that are considered gods really in the tennis world, then people yeah, don't you want have to a lot of people fact. hate you. I don't want to swallow that fact, but I have to respect him because he is, he is very close to being the greatest player of all time. I mean, yeah, when you talk about in it, and his game sometimes lends itself to that, where it just seems like, okay, he doesn't have just the magic of Fed. He doesn't have the, the, he doesn't on the court always have the same grit as Nadal or the same crazy spin or the trademark shot that Fed and Nadal do. But he, Djokovic is just there. And when he's on, he's on. And he can be annoying because he's probably the most emotional of the big three, too. Yes. I think that can get on a lot of people's minds. Nadal could be considered emotional, but he's he's more of a feisty side to pump himself right. up. Djokovic likes to play the crowd. Djokovic does like to play the crowd and and he also but he will just get angry and he loses it a little bit. He he lets his emotions flow, which some players can't do that. But he can and pretty much can win matches anyway. Mm-hmm. which is um, a very unique trait to have. I, I do think, and I ask that question because I feel like I have to. I feel like I really just want to poke at it, but he should be fine. But man, was that loss to Dan Evans bad. 45 unforced errors. That was rough. That was a, he's not one to hit 45 unforced errors, especially on clay. He beat Yannick Center the round before. I mean, he played fine. He just, I, I guess he wasn't having it against Evans. Yeah. Um, the, the slice, I think gets to him sometimes Djokovic doesn't always like the low ball that can get to him, but still that's, that was an interesting one, but I mean, he'll move on. He'll figure it out. Madrid is in two weeks. We'll really see what he has then. And I think the same goes for really all the big guys. So yeah. And Nadal, I think we all know he's going to be the king of clay. I'm just going to sum it up. The king of clay. He's probably still recovering from the back. He's the favorite to win the French Open. All right. <laughs> That's it. That's, Nobody. you know, until until he retires, he is the favorite. Even after he retires, yeah. he could come back and still be the favorite. I think that's true. <laughs> and there's other guys to talk about. And we may talk about it in the second part, but we'll probably in the next half, we're going to focus on the women. We're going to focus on what lies ahead for them. They didn't have a big master's tournament this week, so we... We kind of skip past, but there's still a lot to come for them as well. So stay stay tuned. This is the fifth episode. Of, this is the fifth episode of Making a Racket. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Tell all your friends. I don't know. God, <laughs> just skip this. Sh- We're really good at that. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe to Flags and Fouls and Making a Racket on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the fifth episode of Making a Racket. I want to note, Federer will come back not for Madrid or Rome, but for Geneva on May 17th, and that will be right as we record the sixth episode of Making a Racket. So we'll see... We'll see how he is at that point. He says he's going to play Geneva and then he's going to go into the French Open. So interesting preparation. Not maybe what I I would expect. Not going for the big tournaments except for the the big one, but 
Of course, he's only played the one tournament in 2021, beat Dan Evans, and then and then lost the next round. Yeah. It's one thing Djokovic didn't do. He didn't beat Dan Evans and Federer did. Yep. Maybe that's what keep Djokovic. That 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 might keep Djokovic up at night. <laughs> anyway, Federer will be back. Now let's go to the women's game. We got there there really are a lot of big names on the women's side that can contend for different reasons that are on different trajectories. Some are top 10, but they're kind of just there. Some are going up, some are going down. Barty back up. Barty has stayed at number one in the world and solidified that by defending her title in Miami. She is a 2019 French Open champion. And for me, seeing her in Miami, that I think showed that she was rounding into form. And now I think we just have to wait to see how she does in the clay court season. But I think she's rounded into form. Now that she won Miami, I think that gets her feet under her. So let's go to Naomi Osaka who lost in the quarters in Miami, but was probably the best player in tennis since the COVID break, without without a doubt. So, and we talked about this uh, on the first episode, you know, Osaka, the clay, she hasn't always been as good. One thing that we forget about Osaka, she hasn't been the best on clay. She hasn't made it past the third round of the French Open, or Wimbledon for that matter, but that's for another day. All of her finals have been on hard courts. So that's why I did worry sometimes when even general sports people are starting to get on Osaka about, you know, being the next Serena and stuff like that. There, yes, because most of your tournaments are on hard hard courts. So, I mean, it's not like, it's not like she's going to do bad most of the year. But yeah, at some point she does need to probably play well on the clay, play well on the grass, one or the other or both, and she has the tools to do it. But it, it seems like she's not breaking through. She didn't play the French in 2020. She didn't play any of the clay. She just kind of checked out after the U.S. Open. So what I want to ask you is, how good do you think Osaka's going to do in the clay court season? You know, I I still think she just doesn't have the consistency that's necessary to win a French Open, or at least to get farther in it. I think she has definitely improved over the past year, although it's difficult to tell with COVID. But she won the Australian, this past Australian Open. And I would have to think that gives her some bit of confidence. But she's also not super great at clay in the past. So has she just not figured out how to make her game better on clay? Is she kind of like Rublev where... She needs to find out how to play more versatile points. Um, I see what you're getting at. Uh, maybe, but yeah, I, I think that's that's more where it that's more where it is. I think she does have a little bit of the of that one track mind, but um, because she's good at, at the tennis. same time, she is the best hardcore player still. Um, I, I, I don't think we can dispute that at this point, assuming that she continues to play the way she is. But I do think that when you're talking about someone on the clay hasn't done as well, at some point, I do think she'll figure it out because I do think she'll get her feet under her. And I do think she'll improve. She's already matured a lot. So I'm not as worried that maybe she'll, you know, 
just drop out in the third round like she has been, or even maybe the quarters of some of these 1,000 events. I'm just not sure that she's going to do enough to break through to win against the best players. I'm not sure that she can beat a Barty or Halep or anyone that really is that comfortable on clay. Muguruza, right. Osaka had a tough match with Muguruza at the Aussie. Um, I, and, and I think at the French, Muguruza would have beaten her. You know, I think I think stuff like that. The, these players feel more comfortable on the clay. Osaka looks a little bit uncomfortable. Those those players just have a more developed game suited for clay. They may not be as good that, and I think it's on hardcore as her, but yeah, in the middle side, you know, because she does struggle with lapses at times. She'll lose in a match that she should should easily win. And <laughs> this feels like the same theme song for everyone, but she's still young. She she is she has time to grow on clay. Yeah, it does it does feel like the same song for everyone, right? They're still young because tennis is going through a new youth movement. And it's not quite as extreme as, you know, when Heidi was talking about, yeah, I met Hingis when they were 15 or whatever. That meant they were like two years away from being pro. Like Hingis won, I guess, two years later. And actually, yeah, it was two years later. Won three of the four majors at 17 years old. Kornikova was never quite that good, but she was an early teen sensation, early young sensation. And you, you saw that a lot. Uh, Capriati was another team phenom in the 90s. That happened a lot. And it's what made the WTA Institute rules to say, okay, we're not going to let you play tournaments when you're this young. You're going to get to play this many tournaments at this age, this many, and you're going to build up to it because you're becoming like female gymnasts where they're all like 15, 16 years old. And they're all uh, gymnasts are also like barely five feet tall, but it's another issue. They're all young. They're all small. It's like, you can't really do this. This isn't good. But but this is better. These are like young. These are people in their early 20s, maybe 19 years old in some cases. And then you have golf. But that's like an anomaly. Now, right. Thank God. And that was a total tangent that had nothing to do with what we're talking about. But I do think that's good to think about that there is a youth movement and you do wonder, I guess, Osaka at some point has to improve faster than everyone else, but I think she can. I think she has the tools and I do think she has a mindset to do it and I think she has a support system now. I don't think she'll have that lapse like she did after 2018. Where she won, well, 18 and 19, she won the US Open, won the Aussie. I don't think that lapse is going to happen. I think it will just, I think it'll be more, you know, quarters, semis, finals, maybe win a tournament. But at the same time, I don't think she'll be a favorite to win the French. I don't think she's there yet. I think she just needs a little more development. I think just a little more. And then I think she would be at that point. Because she is competing. Another one though. Sorry, she is competing with women that are rather good at playing on clay her game her game just isn't the same as ash barty's barty has that nasty slice that is pretty good on clay and osaka's she hits the ball pretty flat almost um i get where you're going you know these players are built for clay Halep is 
someone that's a little more built for clay. I mean, she won Wimbledon, but in general, built a little more for clay. Kennan even is a defender, a grinder is built for clay. It's not something you right. say about a lot of <laughs> Americans, but um, Serena is Serena. At her best, she would really be, she can still win a French Open, although I'd almost put her right now with kind of the Osaka. French Open is not going to be no. her shot to win. And and uh, and really, as I look through the list, Vitalina just has never really broken through. She's just there, but she never breaks <laughs> yep. through. Although she is getting married, so that's okay. She's getting married to a Frenchman. It's crazy that, that she's that pretty young me. too. Still, Gal Monfils. She is twenty six. Oh, yeah, they are. All <laughs> they're, young, just, right? they're all so young. And Drescu, nobody even really understands because she always gets injured. And then people like Sabalenka. Sabalenka, just another big hitter. But then, yeah, Muguruza, Sviatek. Now let's actually, I, I want to look now at uh, Sviatek again. We've talked about her mm-hmm. multiple times. Number 16 in the world. She's 19 years old. She's the defending French Open champion. How do you think she's going to handle it? Well, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a different experience when you're defending a title seven months after you won the title. Usually, it takes a year for you to mentally prepare to defend a title. So, um, I'm sure she's <laughs> working on that uh, in preparation for the French. I want to say, yeah, you know, uh, the Masters in golf, you know, uh, the Masters was pretty similar. It was actually worse. It was November to April. <laughs> yeah. If I remember, right? And she um, should probably um, talk to Dustin Johnson and figure out how to not, you know, win in November and then miss the cut as the number one golfer in the world in April. She should probably yeah. call him and figure out how to not do that. And technically, Artie is also defending her title because she didn't play in the one last year. Yes. <laughs> and she won in 2019. You got two people on winning streaks. If I were Shriotek, now I'm me, but that doesn't matter. I would go in being thinking on the mindset that Artie is the one that's having to defend her title. (laughs) Artie's the one under the pressure, not me. I'm just, I'm just here. I'm just here to play. I think that's something. I never thought of that mindset. You know, I I never really. I never thought of it like that. You know, she does have a sports psychologist. Um, I think that does. does help her. Um, I watched her do an Instagram live with Michaela Schifrin, the U.S. skier, and um, she said she really hasn't thought about it yet. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> I, I think she's kind of not. I, and I think that's best to not really think about it. But yeah, um, I think she she's interesting because she is kind of quiet, and I feel like in ways her mind could get just like thrown off by all the pressure, but at the same time, maybe she'll be more level-headed. I mean, when, when you win the French Open the way you did in one of the most dominant performances ever, losing very few games, I think that shows that you really can mentally focus for long periods of time. So I, I think she has it, but... I, I would probably go with that same thing. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, just say Barty's defending the title. I'm just just reset, right? Just totally right. reset. It's 2020 again. That 2020 never happened, right? I just I'm trying to do it again. 
<laughs> exactly. But as a young 19-year-old, that's probably hard to handle. But I just feel bad that she has to defend it after so little time. It's like, you don't get to enjoy it. You know, it's... Right. You don't get to enjoy being the defending French Open. You, you're supposed to get to enjoy that for a whole year. Barty got to enjoy that for over a year. Right. And it's not even that because let's say, hopefully this doesn't happen, but let's say she goes out like in the second, third round. She loses those points, right? Well, 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 no, no, no. I'm actually glad you mentioned that. I don't think she loses them yet. I think she gets to keep them. The rankings are complicated. They are extremely complicated, but from what I got from it, I think she gets to keep them until like those 2020 weeks. But okay. I'll go ahead and check that again. Because that well, that's was, the that case, was then that solves a problem because that would just be mentally terrifying. But at the same time, they do drop off. I mean, it's not like they just, they will drop off at some point. Right. So it's not like, yeah, the, the 2020 points will drop off after 52 weeks. So in, you know, September, October, you know, they will drop. They will just kind of go away. And those yeah. 2021 points will finally show up. So, um, Which is good. yeah, short term, I agree. That's that's something she doesn't have to think about. But it's not like the, the bill will come due. Right. <laughs> it's like voidable years. That can be mentally difficult to take in. Especially when you're number 16 in the world. And mm-hmm. um, as she seems to be pretty number oriented and mathematical analytical. And I, I hope she's not looking too much at the numbers. I hope someone's telling her not to look at the numbers and not realize that, you know, 2000 points is let, let's look here. I got the ranking. She has 3,453 points and 2000 of them are from the French. And let's say she gets to, you know, the quarters, something like that loses most of those points. She suddenly becomes, you know, like number, she barely becomes a top 40 player. That Now that is, at the same time, she has Madrid and Rome to build that up. So th- there's time. She can right. pull something off there. She'll be okay. But yeah, you, when you think of it like that, that that's a hell of a... It's daunting. It, it's not something I'd want to do. No. I am 19. We're just we're just lazy. We're lazy <laughs> college students. We aren't we aren't good enough for tennis. No, not even close. <laughs> and we get worse by the day. We do. <laughs> I got better for a while. Not true. I, I think I'm getting better. All right. All right all I played with sure? with our friend Shannon last week. Yeah. You know, pretty solid forehands. Backhand's not really existent. It's you don't have gone. to talk about that though. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, it never was there to begin with. So, yeah, I mean, that's no, it was there. It just took years, years, took years, years, but then it only took like probably a month for it to go away. Probably. So, thanks. I understand that. That that happened to me with my backhand for a while. <laughs> I'm just glad. Well, I'll get to that at the end. Um. Now we've talked about Sviatek, we've talked about Osaka, and I, I really enjoy talking about them, but let's go into, we know Halep's going to be consistent. 
we'll probably talk about that, you know, before Madrid and after Rome and all that stuff. Let's talk about Bianca Andreescu. The 20-year-old injured her ankle in Miami. We talked about that on the last episode. We talked about the injuries she's had. Her, her ankle is not that bad. She'll be back for the clay court season. We haven't really seen what she can do on the clay. I feel like I really, I feel like I really have no idea how she'll do on the clay. Not an idea. Not, because, not the slightest clue. You know, we talk about her being that good. She the there is only one Grand Slam tournament that she has made past the second round, and that's of course the one she won. <laughs> that being said. The last time she played the French Open, she withdrew with something you could probably guess. She was injured. She withdrew against Sophia Kennan, who went on to make the fourth round that year. This is 2019. Andrescu withdrew, and it just seems like it, it seems like she continues to have these injuries. And but you're thinking at some point, we don't really know what she's gonna do on the clay. We figure she's gonna do good. So basically with no um no real precedent except we know she really early on won a Grand Slam title and really hasn't played anything big on the clay. How do you think she's gonna do? <laughs> Is that an impossible question or what? Um you know, your guess is as good as mine. The only thing I can say is um, you know, clay is supposed to be good for your body. Why do you think Nadal likes it so much? <laughs> Well, that's it's true. Supposed to be a little easier on your joints, even though it's longer points. It's not not as destructive to your body. But I just I don't have any clues on to how she's going to play. And that's pretty much it. There's there's just I there's not anything to guess with. I can look at her game, and it's suited for hard court when she's healthy. Right. And even then, it's sometimes difficult to figure out how she is on a tournament to tournament basis. Cause she's healthy one tournament injured in the finals out the next few. Right. And she, she made the Aussie and lost second round, but I mean, you can chalk that up to, you know, barely coming back after missing an entire season. So, but then, yeah, it's like Miami. It's like, Oh my gosh, she's coming back into form already. And then, But the ankle had been aggravating her the whole time, and arguably she maybe should have pulled back a little bit before that. I think it was good that she retired from the match once that happened. She just she she cut it because it really um, that that could have gotten worse, and that could have been bad when she did it. Even though it pretty much has turned out to be okay, but I would think her game would seem to translate fine to me. I think yeah, she's a big hitter. But, I mean, we, we've seen people on clay do it. That's why I don't doubt Osaka as much either. We've seen people like Sharapova win two French Open, go from a cow on ice, in her own words, to two-time French Open champion, more than she even won of the other majors. So we've seen that happen before. And that happened later in her career, but we've seen big, big hitters win the French Open, and especially on the women's side, it can happen. So I don't see why Andrescu couldn't win the French. She seems to do this. She'll be back for the big clay court tournaments, and I really want to see what she does. I'm excited for that, probably as much as anything. 
really for that because she's the big unknown. I mean, Fiatsek, we've kind of seen, you know, we've seen the dominance, we've seen the bottom Osaka, we've seen, but maybe not Osaka's a little more unknown just because we know that, you know, she is so good, but there may be a lapse or maybe there won't be this time. Halep is Halep. She's been consistent. She's going to be consistent. She's the most consistent player on the tour. Barty may challenge her on that. We know French Open champion 19. Serena is Serena, but she is 39 years old, which means in tennis she's old. And she had a kid. I mean, hell, being number eight in the world after having a kid at 39 years old, having two different pulmonary embolisms, I, I say pretty damn good job, right? So... Right. <laughs> Can't really falter too much. Muguruza is another dominant player that we'll get to watch. Sviatek Sakari, Maria Sakari from Greece. Maybe two Greek players competing for a French Open. Who knows? I like I like that, but a lot of interesting storylines on the men's and women's side. And I really think that's it. I mean, there's really just a lot that we'll get to break down before Madrid. And then a lot after Madrid and Rome on the next episode, and then we'll get to break it down. We'll get to break all of it down again before the French Open. Probably adjust our dates for that. Warn y'all now, it won't be releasing on Tuesday. It'll probably be releasing the Friday before the French Open, but we'll keep that updated on our social media and on Lee3Pods.com. We want to give a shout out to Tyler Stewart, Sarah Stewart, Connor Carragher, and Monse Salazar. Three district champions for Midland High at the district tournament. Uh, we had Tom Hiding, their coach, on last episode. That is the first time they've had three district champions in, I think, 15, almost 20 years. Uh, this is kind of a slap in the face, probably a backhand compliment. Great job to San Angelo Central for four runner-ups and no champions. Good job to you. At least you all get to go to regionals, right? Okay. Right. <laughs> Abilene High did good, and everyone else got shut out. Rip to y'all. I'm very sorry. Very, very sorry. At least you got to play. Yeah. 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 I think 20 should be the new 13. 20 is just a bad number now. I think if you stick 20 next to 20, especially, but I mean, we can just do the whole number, just the number in general. I think that's fine. I don't know. I think just 20 next to 20. Any Anytime people say, it's like those memes that were happening at the start of 2020. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, it was like people would say 2020 and it was that uh, scared dog's face and it was, you know, war. Because we all forget now that, you know, we thought Iran was just going to go nuts we on us. We just all forget. Three. We all, we just forget about that, yeah. right? You know, the forest fires in Australia. Yeah, we just totally forgot that about that. Happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> The history books will forget about it. Yeah. Or they'll have to have their own chapter. And then it's like, okay, this is a real 2020 stuff. And then this is like the extra 2020 stuff. Them kids going to be, them, them same kids. I mean, I guess we got to give those kids, they're either going to pay zero or 50,000 a year in college. We're, we got to give them a break because they got to do a whole chapter. You know, like our history curriculum, we always had to rush through it. How are they going to rush through <laughs> it when they got a whole chapter of 2020 now? Yeah. Damn them kids. They're going to have to write essays about what went wrong in 2020. They're going to have to write rhetorical essays. They're going to have to figure out what happened. What went wrong? I feel like maybe in, you know, in our kids, they'll be like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> like, I wonder if they're just going <laughs> to look back and go, you guys are stupid. This is all. But you guys did that? Really? 
You guys did what? You guys are dumbass. Oh my god. I feel like it's just gonna be I feel like it's just gonna be a hit piece. Everything every it's just gonna be a hit piece on 2020. And and all of us in general. Listen, child, you you hindsight is 2020, okay? It's in the name. <laughs> oh my god. Th- that's what it's going to become. Hindsight is the year 2020. Hindsight is the year 2020. Amen to that. Amen to what 2020 has become. Well, at least 2021 is getting better. All Americans are able to get vaccinated. I've already been fully vaccinated. Sean, you're getting on your way there right now. Week from Tuesday. Week from Tuesday. All right. That's so my second dose. Let's all do it. Let's finish this off. Let's not give up at the end. Uh, regionals, I know for Tyler and Connor and Monse and Sarah and Coach Hiding, they'll all be next week. And Arlington, good luck to them. Tyler is a state contender as well. We know he's got a really good shot. So we, we always hope the best for them. Well, that's all we have for Making a Racket. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. And I feel like feel like feel like such i feel so fake it's just like it's such a stupid phrase it's just like a catch-all it's like a lazy catch-all <laughs> wherever you get your i always thought that was stupid i when i never listened to podcasts which i still don't i i always thought well what, <laughs> man, where, where, where do i get my podcast like where do i where do i care i don't give a damn about your podcast yeah. <laughs> i i still don't give a damn about mine but i hope you do and later we'll yeah, allow you to give us money. We will actually have donations set up on lead3pods.com at some point. We'll have them set up by our next episode of Flags and Fouls and we'll advertise them on there. We'll advertise it on our social media. So follow us at Making a Racket 3 on Twitter, Instagram. We have a Facebook page. It sucks, but we do have it. Go to Twitter and Instagram. We like it better. But you know, whatever. It works out. We'll keep you updated on there as to how to donate if you want. And that's all we got. Next episode, it's going to be previewing Madrid, Rome, and really the big, big time of the clay court season right before the French. We'll see you guys then. See ya. See ya.